This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. Later on, we will be speaking with Beth Jacob, who is a professor at UMass Amherst in the biology department, where she has taught and done her research since 2000. We have her with us today as the featured guest on the SciTech Cafe because she is giving a talk at SciTech Cafe tomorrow titled How Spiders, and in particular, Jumping Spiders, See the World. We'll also have with us Kathy Adala, who is the founder of the SciTech Cafe, physics professor at Mount Holyoke College. That will be later on in the hour. And before that, we will also be speaking with Scott Cohen, sportsman. Because today, well, it's a really exciting day for some people in the world of baseball. Monty is smoking. We'll learn <laughs> at least. And Scott Cohen too. <laughs> so we will have that. First, we have a bit of a fish wrap for you. Today's newspapers, tomorrow's fish wrap. A lot in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. Of course, the front page article about the Silverscape Building being sold for one point three million dollars to J.P. Morgan Chase. So, my first reaction was to the headline, oh, good, the Silver Skate building is being sold. It's going to be used. It won't be vacant. Downtown Northampton's going to get a big boost. Great. And J.P. Morgan's going to sell it to someone else. We're going to have this fabulous retail shop. And oops, then I read the article. J.P. Morgan Chase is going to use the old bank building, which is, of course, what Silver Skate was housed in, uh, to be a bank again. So I guess the good news is Northampton, for decades and decades and decades, had a large bank, actually two large banks, very close together on those corners. And this building will once again be a bank. It's a money-centered, multinational, international bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. And that makes me uncomfortable, given all the local banks that we have on Main Street. And, of course, there's a Bank of America up on Main Street, so let's not get too parochial and hometownish about it all. But still, the article says that J.P. Morgan Chase is opening branches throughout Massachusetts and western Massachusetts, another branch in Springfield. And it all makes me a bit uncomfortable because I'm rooting for our hometown banks, like Greenfield Savings Bank, the Greenfield Bank, Florence Bank, uh, we need our local banks. And, well, I was feeling less good <laughs> after reading the article than my feelings were, what po my positive feelings were. That what I mangle this sentence. I felt really great at the headline, less, less good after the end of the article. Monty, your thoughts? Maybe it'll be like the subway on Main Street in Northampton where it comes in as a big national brand name and then the people locally lose interest in it, and it decides to go away. And then, who knows, Greenfield Savings Bank or one of those other banks. Takes over that bank? Sweeps it up. Right. Uh, it's funny to see the reaction of people that are saying, oh, no, there's going to be a bank in that building, of all things. Of it's all a jewelry <laughs> store. Well, you know, it's it was 30, called it, the First National Bank building originally. And, so. and it, the First National Bank was there for a long, long time. And Dennis Perlman did a spectacular job of converting this uh, bank building into a beautiful spectacular jewelry store. And then his brother Wally, after Dennis died in an unfortunate plane accident, very young, his family, particularly his brother uh, Wally, took over the store, ran it, um, and was enormously successful for some 30 years. Better bank than vacant. Yes. We'll see if Chase Bank can make the clock slash thermometer accurate. That thermometer <laughs> is always like 20 degrees off of what it has actually It's not true. 20 degrees off, Monty. Come on. Come on. And it does tell the time, which I am... The time is usually pretty right on. It is. Yeah. Two other pieces in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette that I would like to uh, bring to your attention and recommend. One is the guest column by Phil Corman. Phil Corman is the executive director of CESA, Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, otherwise known as Local Heroes. And Phil wrote a guest column, Yes on Four, Common Sense for Safer Roads. And let me read a couple sentences. <clears throat> the Work and Family Mobility Act passed this summer by an overwhelming majority in the Massachusetts legislature. It was a common sense move towards safer roads and transportation options for everyone. It, the Family Work, the Work and Family Mobility Act, enabled all qualified state residents, regardless of immigration status, to apply for a Massachusetts driver's license, thereby ensuring safer roads and transportation options for all of us. Now this law is under threat. 
you can help by voting yes on ballot question four when you vote early or on November 8th, which is Election Day. The Work and Family Mobility Act has a straightforward logic to it. If every driver is trained, tested, licensed, and insured, the roads will be safer for all of us. And that's why, and then Phil Corman goes on in his article to explain why sheriffs are overwhelmingly in favor of this legislation, why district attorneys are overwhelmingly in favor of this legislation, why police chiefs and their association have endorsed this legislation. As Phil Corman points out in his column in today's Gazette, uh, the major city's chiefs of police association of Massachusetts, uh, whose members lead two-thirds of the state's total police force, endorse this legislation, as does the Massachusetts Attorney General. So it is a matter of safer roads. It's also a matter of what is really, of course, necessary for people to live, particularly here in western Massachusetts, You can't really get around very well, get the kids to school, buy groceries, get to medical appointments, and so on, uh, without a license or without driving. And if we are going to have people on the road, we want them licensed and trained and insured and the cars registered and all that. This is common sense safety measure. It's also a matter of common decency and common sense. I would point out that Massachusetts will be the or is the 17th state, plus the District of Columbia, to pass such legislation. And we're not an outlier. We're not even in the forefront of this movement. We are joining other states that have passed legislation that allows persons who don't have their immigration documents to be licensed as drivers because doing that is good for everybody, everybody, everybody. The weird thing about this question is the way it's phrased. Question four, it's the fourth question on the ballot. It's on the back of the ballot. It's not in your voter handbook, so this is your an opportunity, if you're not familiar with this, to hear at least our perspective on question four. And we're going to continue to cover question four between now and Election Day, and I hope to write my next Gazette column on question four as well. And I hope to, just to mix and match my different jobs, uh, cut a... Civil Liberties Minute on question four in the next few days as And I'm well. teaming up with the ACLU's uh, Javier to do something with Senator Joe Comerford about this ex- question as well on Facebook Live to inform people. So, Great. Yeah. So question four, yes on four. I started to mention how it's phrased. It's a question, should the law be retained? So in order to keep the law, you vote yes on four. If you want to go back to the unfortunate place where we were that prohibited uh, driver's license for persons without documents, then you would vote no. So I am going to vote yes on four. I'm going to encourage everyone I know and everyone who listens to me or reads my work to vote yes on four. So does Phil Corman in his piece in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. He says you can learn more about this campaign and how to support it by searching for Yes for Safer Roads on all social media platforms, or visiting saferoadsma.com. So, one other piece I'd like to bring to your attention, and this is a a letter in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette by David Hoos, my friend David Hoos, who I have worked with on anti-death penalty work for many years. We've litigated a death penalty case together. We've uh, tried and appealed a murder case together, and we've done a lot of work on uh, social justice issues over many, many years Uh, David's a a close friend, so I make that by way of disclosure, but also I'd like to share with you the letter that David wrote, which I have already emailed him and thanked him for writing, titled, Hampshire County Sheriff, Progressive, and Jail Professionally Run. I'm just going to quote for you a couple of sentences from Attorney Hoos's letter. Uh, David also, we should point out, was the uh, president of Hamden County Lawyers for Justice, for many years, just recently uh, retired from that post. He, uh, the, the Hamden County Lawyers for Justice organization is the Bar Advocate Program in Hamden County. So here's what he writes uh, in his letter to the Daily Hampshire Gazette today. As a criminal defense lawyer for over 40 years, I know something about sheriffs and jails. I visited, visited somewhere around 30 to 40 penal institutions in at least 10 states during my career. 
And I would point out for you that don't know his career, that involves a lot of death penalty cases out of state. Attorney Hoos goes on to say, I've had dozens of clients incarcerated locally, and then says this that I think is important for people to hear. In my travels, I have not found a penal institution that is more secure, clean, and professionally run than ours. I have on numerous occasions asked Sheriff Patrick Kalane to make accommodations, and he goes on to describe how important a sheriff is and can be in allowing the defense to prepare a case and says no one has been better than Patrick Kalane in terms of allowing access uh, for experts and for consultations and for ensuring the privacy of attorney-client uh, privilege conversations and the like. Uh, I, here's the piece I think you'll be interested to hear. Quote, I often ask new clients at an initial visit how they are faring in their new surroundings, meaning being locked up in the Hampshire County Jail. At Hampshire County, the answer I most frequently get is, quote, this doesn't even feel like a jail. They treat you like a human being here. Attorney Houston goes on his letter to uh, deal with some of the more uh, recent uh, allegations and criticisms of the sheriff. I commend that to your attention. He goes on to say, and this is his conclusion after dealing with those topics, quote, we are fortunate to have one of the most progressive sheriffs in the nation running our jail, a man who is respected by virtually everyone in the criminal justice system, an attorney who then asks voters to reelect Sheriff Patrick Kaling. I would note just for myself that my experience with the jail and the sheriff providing particularly uh, medical treatment and alternative medical treatment uh, for those who have uh, various substance abuse issues has also been extremely positive. And my experiences with people who are locked up in the jail that uh, they, in fact, say this is a jail where, unlike others, they treat you like a human being. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries, spiked milkshakes and more. It's not fast food, it's good food. Fast. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Two leading lights of the modern-day Afro-Cuban jazz world. Alfredo Rodriguez and Pedrito Martinez, October 20th at UMass. Both born and raised in Havana, Alfredo Rodriguez and Pedrito Martinez are electrifying. Rodriguez at the piano, Martinez surrounded by drums, cungas, tumbas, and his deep cut mango hand snare. The classical piano prodigy and the streetwise percussionist, a potent combo taking Afro-Cuban jazz to new and exciting places. Quincy Jones produced their new album, Duologue. Get tickets at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. Alfredo Rodriguez and Pedrito Martinez, electrifying Afro-Cuban jazz, Thursday, October 20th. 7.30 p.m., Boker Auditorium at UMass. 586-1000, good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586 
1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Co-ops build economic power. A co-op is a trusted and proven way to strengthen the local economy. There are no out-of-town owners. The members own it or the workers own it. October is co-op month. Check out our local co-ops, credit unions, worker co-ops, and farmer co-ops. Just $3 a month, and you're a member of the Franklin Community Co-op, Greenfields Market, and McCusker's Market. You live here. You eat here. Be a member. 3 bucks a month. McCusker's, Greenfields, your Franklin Community Co-ops. This is Bill Newman, <laughs> Well, Monty, would you like to share with us today's musical selection? It is. Your reasons for With it? a heavy heart that, under duress, I play the official theme song of the New York Yankees. Yes, sir. Look at that. Oh, Ron just Sinatra, play. They actually, Frank they play Sinatra. it really loud after they win. Want to try the little, up there we go, Monty. Up New there. York. <laughs> New okay, we have with us sportsman, Scott Cohen. Thank you, Scotty, so much for being with us. And in fact, the division championship series begin today. today. Yep, all across the country starting at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Which is great because making the playoffs at a watchable time is, is a great thing, I yeah. think. Yeah, you know, it's like we, uh, we're, I don't, you're not Monty really, but uh, certainly Bill and I are. Uh, old enough to remember when, you know, the World Series was on at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was... And you'd run home from school, <laughs> and you'd run in and turn on the television, and you somebody, fortunately, had a transistor radio in school, and everyone would be listening to it in study hall, and then, of course, someone something would happen, and that everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of kids in the study hall, we go, ooh, and the teachers say, okay, let's have the radios, yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, one of, my, one of my most vivid memories of childhood is going to Catholic school in 1969 in New Jersey. We were literally, you know, 20 minutes outside of Midtown, and the nuns put the, rolled the TV into the classroom, and we watched the Mets, uh, <laughs> you know, play the Orioles in, in the World Series in the afternoon. It was great. Well, sadly, this year... The Mets will not be advancing to this series. A real shame, I think. A team that won, what, 100, 101 games? And it's not even in the postseason anymore. Didn't even make it past the first round. There are four rounds. Yep. Um, what a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. And, you know, the big thing about that is they've got, they have two of the best pitchers in baseball on their roster, uh, Max Scherzer and uh, Jacob deGrom. And, I, I mean, I was just looking forward to watching those guys pitch, and they just... It didn't go. It did definitely didn't go Scherzer's way in in game number one, and you know against the Padres. And you and I just talked off air a minute ago how important it is in a short series. You really have to win the first game, and the series we're going into now is a best of five. First that wins three advances. You got to win the first game. It's obviously really important. Just a shame to see a team that was so good all year, yeah. with the New York Mets, not being further into the. That's the baseball. Close it is. It's such a shame. The Plus, your other contributor, Duke Goldman, is going to be as sad as I am next time he's on because he's a big Mets fan. Duke Goldman is a big Mets fan. I've already, <laughs> I've already sent him consolation emails and texts. So I haven't heard back. Well, buddy, keep your fingers crossed. You might be next. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> okay, okay. Down, Monty, down. Uh, what uh, my friends here, <laughs> sort of, sort in of. the studio are referring to is that the Yankees take, New York Yankees take on the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, the team managed by Terry Francona, former very successful Boston Red Sox manager, who was fired. Uh, that said, the New York Yankees going into this series are not the team that won that won the American League East pennant. I mean, they're just the personnel uh, have been their personnel have been decimated by injuries. They have relief pitchers who haven't pitched in six weeks who are coming to join the roster. Uh, and the Cleveland Guardians are a young and really hungry team. They're, they run, they hit, they field, they've got speed, and they seem to me like a team that really has to be reckoned with. Your thoughts, Scott Cohen? I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, a big, you know, they're a big contrast, too. Both teams finished the 
a with a just in, in a blaze uh, to end the season. Uh, the Yankees had that big struggle right after the All Star break, but they were I think twenty and nine down the stretch or something like that. And Cleveland's the same way. The Yankees lead the uh, major leagues in home runs, and there's you know there's Aaron Judge. I think it could be a case of you know the Yankees are just going to club these guys to death. Um, but again, it all if if uh, Garrett Cole is the Yankees' ace, quote unquote. Yeah, he's an ace who's given up who's more given up home more runs than he, any other pitcher. Absolutely. If he doesn't, if if he does not, you know, you know the whole cliche. If Garrett Cole doesn't come to play tonight, it doesn't matter how many home runs the Yankees hit. They're going to be in big trouble if if he doesn't get them a win today. So, because um, Cle, you know, obviously Cleveland can play. They're here. So, but I'm 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 bullish on the Yankees, Bill. I'm I'm feeling good about them right now. Uh, we should reveal to our listening audience that Scott Cohn grew up about, what, three blocks from Yankee Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- a, bus, a bus ride, a subway ride, and then three blocks from okay. the subway All station. He right. does a good job at not tipping his hand. I don't. When he does the hey, I love cast. the Red Sox, but how, how that wouldn't go over very well. That blood, that Yankee blood definitely still pulses through the veins. Yeah, well, we, ha- we have a, a, a wooden slat mat outside our house uh, the, in the back doorway. Uh, and in order to try to keep our marriage together, our daughters bought us a, this wooden flat mat of slats. Mm-hmm. One side is the Yankee symbol in blue. On the other side ah. is the Red Sox symbol in red. And underneath it, it says, a house divided. Yeah. <laughs> well, our general manager here, David Oldred, grew up 20 minutes from where I grew up, right outside of Boston. And when I ever found out he he's a, a Yankees huge fan, Yankee I, fan, I lost my mind. There's, uh, you know, it, it, like you say, a lot of them, you know, stay in the closet. And there's uh, obviously <laughs> uh, around here, and there's obviously more Red Sox fans um, uh, out this way than there are Yankee fans, but there's plenty of Yankee fans. There's plenty of them. We're in divided territory in Western yeah. Mass. If you go to Boston, you forget it. Yep. Yeah. It was like same thing like um, the when down in Springfield. You know, you go a little bit south and you get close to Hartford. There's a there's an, an imaginary line that separates the Yankee and the Red Sox territory. I had a great chat with Ralph Nader of all people, who lives in Connecticut, about whether he was a Red Sox or a Yankees guy. And he's a Yankees guy, but he loves Fenway Park. Yeah, yeah, yep. It's also Giants Patriots like divided territory. And no question about yeah. it. Absolutely. Another t- game that's going to t- take place is the Mariners versus the Astros. Seattle Mariners versus the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros having the best record in the American League yes. by a lot this year. Yep. The Mariners won, more accurately, Toronto lost mm-hmm. in a game that was just heartbreaking for Toronto. It was. And, and I've rooted against Toronto because they're in the American League East over a long time, but they're a great team, and they were winning 8-1 to one after five innings in the second game. And through a series of mishaps and unusual and unpredictable and unexpected occurrences on the field, they lost the game. They were up eight to one after five innings. They have a really, really solid team, and they lost 10 to nine. What a game. Oh, my goodness. And the Mariners, I think, had a walk-off home run to uh, to clinch a playoff spot. They come from behind, as you said, eight to one in that game to beat a, a great Blue Jay team. The Astros, you know, they're the odds-on favorite, but the Mariners, that you know, it, they're a group. They're a group of guys that you'd be hard to uh, pick out of a lineup without a scorecard, and even with one, you go, "Who are these guys?" But they don't, you know, they don't know any better. And you know, we're all baseball fans, and like I said, I'll go back to that best of five series. It's a short series, and anything can happen. Anything can happen. Oh, Monty, it's, uh, no, can, you, just, can you tell him to stop smirking, Scott Cohen, please? I'm smirking for a good reason for baseball fans, because if you, today you can start a game at 1 o'clock, it's a great. game at 3.30, a yeah. game at 7.30, or a game at 9.30. Yes. So like any, almost any time this afternoon into the evening that you want to watch baseball, the competitive baseball, the playoffs, you have an opportunity. I was dying for this yesterday. The only game that was of any consequence was the Monday night game at, you know, at, at 8.30. And, and I'm like, why can't, why can't this be Baseball Monday? Well, today's Baseball Tuesday, all day long, starting at 1 o'clock. Right. I was not going to admit that. I felt a bit bereft yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I did no no baseball, but it has been it has been exciting. I don't know whether you Scott Cohen sort of support this four 
tiers, four brackets of uh, where, where the playoffs start, where uh, twelve of the twelve of the thirty teams in baseball get to go to the postseason. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. But it's been really exciting. This change. More, you know, it's like a lot of people are are negative on the fact that everybody everybody makes the playoffs, quote unquote. Listen, the more the merrier. I, you know, there's more storylines, and I'm I'm all for that. I don't mind the expanded playoffs at all. We're gonna leave it there, sportsman Scott Cohen. Thank you so very much. Not everybody makes the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. State Senator John Velas announced over $1 million in funding for Westfield High School. The funding was included in the state's budget, which was passed earlier this summer. This will go toward improvements at the high school, including science labs, tennis courts, and school security. Velas also secured $5,000 for Westfield High School's community closet, which provides numerous students and families with clothing, food, and personal care items. The Belchertown School Committee and Select Board are considering using ARPA funds to give premium payments to approximately 400 school department employees. A meeting is scheduled for tonight at Chestnut Hill Community School Auditorium at 6.30. In September, the town voted to allocate hazard pay totaling over $320,000 for municipal employees that are not school employees. The Select Board is expected to discuss how much money school employees will receive in hopes of providing equity to all town employees at tonight's meeting. Southwick residents are being asked for input on the town's master plan, Southwick 2040. The plan will help guide the development for the town over the next two decades in areas such as land development, zoning changes, capital enhancements, and downtown improvements. Two community visioning sessions are being held this week to get input from residents. The first session is set for Thursday at 6.30 p.m. The second session will be held on Saturday beginning at 9 a.m. Both will be at Town Hall at 454 College Highway. Plenty of sunshine today, a light breeze and a high of 64 to 68. Mostly clear tonight, evening temperatures in the 50s, an overnight low of 38 to 44. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, 70 to 74. Showers and 70 on Thursday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El gobernador Charlie Baker podría no otorgar indultos a las personas con condenas estatales por simple posesión de marihuana a pesar de la insistencia del presidente Joe Biden. Biden usó una orden ejecutiva la semana pasada para otorgar indultos a nivel federal y pidió a los gobernadores que hicieran lo mismo en sus jurisdicciones. Sin embargo, Baker dijo que Massachusetts ya tiene un sistema para aclarar condenas pasadas por marihuana. Massachusetts aprobó una ley de eliminación de antecedentes penales para cualquier persona condenada por simple posesión de marihuana en 2018, dijo el domingo, y firmamos una ley el año pasado para facilitar aún más el proceso. Pero los críticos argumentan que el proceso de eliminación de antecedentes penales es difícil de navegar para las personas y el indulto de un gobernador sería más eficiente. La fiscal general del estado, Maura Healy, dijo que perdonaría las condenas por marihuana si fuera elegida gobernadora. Por su parte, el candidato republicano Geoff Diel dijo que no lo haría. En otras informaciones, Luma Energy alegó este lunes que ha restablecido el servicio eléctrico de casi un millón y medio de clientes, lo cual equivale a un 99% del total de clientes en Puerto Rico tras el paso del huracán Fiona. Luma agregó que ha restablecido el servicio del 100% de los clientes en San Juan y Bayamón, del 99% de los clientes en Caguas y Arecibo, en el centro y norte respectivamente, del 97% de los clientes en la región de servicio de Ponce en el sur y del 94% de los clientes en la región de servicio de Mayagüez en el oeste. Luma también ha restablecido el servicio en el 100% de los hospitales. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to our favorite segment on, well, that's, well, good, I don't know this. Don't play favorites. One of our favorites. A wonderful segment on A wonderful on segment, there we go, thank you. Uh, 
the SciTech Cafe, and we have with us today Kathy Adala, who is a professor of physics at Mount Holyoke College, who is the founder of SciTech Cafe, and Beth Jacob, who is a professor at UMass Amherst in the biology department. And this is very exciting perspective on how we all see the world, and in particular, how spiders, and in particular, jumping spiders, see the world. We're going to get to that in just one moment. Kathy Abdallah, Professor Abdallah, please tell us, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the SciTech Cafe, what it is, where it is, and why it is. Please. Thanks. Um, SciTech Cafe, our, our goal is just to bring scientists into an environment with the public where you can ask questions. Um, it's meant to be interactive. Uh, what this is, is tomorrow, uh, doors open at 6 p.m. at 33 Holly, AP at Holly in Northampton in the workroom. Um, and we will have, uh, we, we bring in uh, people who will just, who know how to talk about the research to the folks who don't have PhDs in whatever field. Uh, so it is an exciting time to get introduced to a topic and then ask whatever questions that you have and really be able to um, query the person doing the science and on the cutting edge forefront of the science uh, in a way that you can't do it if you're just watching a documentary or a YouTube video at home. One of the aspects of SciTech Cafe that I always find fascinating is how family friendly it is. And really more specifically than that, how the kids there ask these great questions, ones I never would have thought of and probably definitely demonstrating knowledge uh, in excess of anything I have, but the kids are fabulous. So, want to share a thought on that, Kathy? So this is this is we have all ages. Um, you know, we we have I think questions from eight year olds. We have questions from eighty year olds, and we actually give out prizes for best questions. So you come, we'll raffle off some prizes. So you might win a prize that's themed for our nights our nights event uh, just by showing up. But if you ask questions um, and uh, uh, you know, all questions are fair game. Some of the hardest questions are the simplest questions because it's being asked for, without any preconceived notions of what you should be asking or um, what people are supposed to know. So when you when you when you drop that idea of of uh, it, you just are motivated purely by curiosity, uh, then the best questions come come out of out of people's mouths. Let me turn now, if I might, to Beth Jacob, professor at UMass Amherst, who will be giving the presentation at SciTech Cafe tomorrow evening. Doors open at 6 o'clock, <clears throat> excuse me, 33 Holly Street. Professor, Professor Jacob, the title of your talk, How Spiders See the World. I'm really interested to know this, and particularly interested since or I saw this up-close photograph of a spider and their spectacular eyes, something I haven't, well, I don't know if I've ever thought about it, but I really haven't thought about it much. How do spiders see the world? Give us a little bit of a preview of your talk. Yeah, so I'm, I think the photo you saw was probably of a jumping spider. Um, of all the spiders, they have the most beautiful big eyes. And we've been studying them for about 10 years now. Um, they have amazing vision, better than any insect, um, uh, only a little bit better. Uh, 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 human vision is only a little bit better than their, their vision. And they have eight eyes. Uh, they can see nearly 360 degrees in, uh, around themselves. Do they and have so one on each leg? This... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's an, just an accident that the number of eyes matches the number of legs, but they do have eight legs and eight eyes. Uh, so they're taking in all this visual information from all these different directions, and they try to, they have to integrate it really quickly and figure out what's going on. So they have to make a decision right away. Should I try and eat this thing I'm seeing? Should I try and attack it? Should I run away? Should I try and court it? Because they do these cute little courtship dances where they wave their legs and dance back and forth. Um, or maybe they should just ignore it. Um, and they, they have to do this so quickly um, with a brain that's only slightly bigger than a sesame seed. So we are trying to figure out how they pull together all this information and act on it. Could you tell us more about that? You talk about a brain the size of a sesame seed, but you're also talking about processing an enormous amount of information and coming to conclusions. It sounds like there's a spectacular brain in this tiny little insect. 
Yeah. Uh, well, first, I, I need to say that they're, they're spiders and insects. Insects are your six-legged critters and spiders are your eight-legged eight ones. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really phenomenal how, how well they do with this tiny brain. Um, and one of the ways that they do it is they, they, they give a lot of processing power to the eyes. So jumping spiders have two different kinds of eyes. One kind of eye is um, specialized in detecting motion. And the other eye, there's big eyes that you see in the front. Those are specialized for looking at detail. So one set of eyes is saying, hey, look over here, something's moving, something's moving. And then the spider swivels around and points those large eyes at the moving object. Can I, you said that spiders have eight eyes and we know that spiders have eight legs. Do all spiders have eight eyes and eight legs or just these jumping spiders? Uh, so all spiders have eight legs um, and um, most spiders have eight eyes, but a few of them have lost a couple of eyes over, ev over evolutionary time. Those are pirate but spiders. They, also, they wear a patch over one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Usually they lose. They uh, like. There's some spiders that 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 live in caves or dark places, and they have reduced eyes. Hmm. But um, yeah, um, we have uh, web building spiders have tend to have very small eyes, and they don't rely as much on visual information. But like jumping spiders and some other kinds of spiders are are active hunters, and they they don't build prey capture webs they just run around and they tackle stuff so they really need good vision <laughs> so, <laughs> I, i'd like to go back to something you said a few moments ago uh, professor jacob and it is that spiders have eyesight i'd like to know if this is for the eight eyes collectively or indiv individually of their that is each individual eyes has uh eyesight that is close to as uh, accurate, uh, that's not the word either, but as close to uh, in its functionality as human eyes. Uh, how do you know that? I mean, how do you sit in spider down in front of the eye chart and say, tell us what you read? How do you do that? <laughs> well, so, so yeah, so I, I, I should be clear. They're not, they're not you know, as good as human eyes, but they're, uh, but they're, better than other than than all other insects than all insects and and um one of the ways that we understand uh spider vision so you can look at things like what the retina looks like they have retinas like like just like um any like any uh human would but we we do a lot of behavioral experiments in our lab and we actually show them Movies on. You iPod. show them movies. <laughs> of course they, we do. They love arachnophobia <laughs> and all of the Spider-Man movies. We, we have shown them arachnophobia. I have to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, we show them. If you show a spider, a jumping spider, a movie of a cricket running back and forth, it will actually. Uh, watch it. You can see it's moving its body back and forth to see the movie, and then it will jump at it and just and and I have to say they're not the sharpest tacks in the <sighs> box, so they will jump repeatedly at the screen and just bonk their heads on it. That's how my grandfather used to watch boxing when I was a kid too. He dodge and weave. <laughs> Um, and we also, we, we've developed this eye tracker. So we, um, the, so a very cool thing about jumping spiders is that their front uh, eyes, which are the ones that have the best vision, also are movable. So inside the spider's head, those eyes actually move around. It's not like our eyes where the whole eyeball moves, but they, they have a tube inside their head, uh, two tubes, one for each eye, and the retina is at the back of that tube, and that tube actually can move around. So a spider that's sitting there staring at you could actually be looking at you with its, with its eyes. Um, and scanning your face to, to try and figure out who you are and what you are. Why did you, I mean, this is probably obvious at this point, but why and when did you become interested in spiders? Oh, gosh. Um, I, so I did a, an, a project 
I, I worked as a field assistant after my undergraduate and before grad school, and I worked on a great project um, in Montana out in the field that was beautiful and wonderful, and I really enjoyed it. And then I went to grad school and I thought, now I'm going to work on a real animal. And I tried all these other projects that all failed for one reason or another. I tried working on newts and I tried working on butterflies and they all failed. And some one of my friends finally said, hey, look, there's zillions of these spiders around here. This and um, and at that point, I was working not on jumping spiders, but on social spiders. So <laughs> These are the ones they, they have parties, they have afternoon yeah, and you tea. Get trapped in their web at the end of the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're going to going to have arachnophobia. Um, these, these would be the ones that would trigger it. Um, yeah, so I worked on, on group living spiders in California for a while, and then I got interested in uh, social spiders in Mexico. I worked with some colleagues down there um, that live in colonies of 2,000 or so spiders. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like anything. The more, you, the more you know about something, the more interesting it is. Uh, just to go back to the movie question for one moment. How big, or what's the range of size of spiders? Oh boy, I knew you'd ask something that I didn't know offhand. <laughs> I, I mean, do we go from probably... very small to very large, or are we talking about? Yeah, a... I mean, some of the spiders that we work on are are just very maybe a quarter of an inch long, um, and I, I I'm thinking the biggest ones are probably five inches or so. The bird eating spiders. I don't work on those. I work on the small ones. <laughs> and the small ones somehow fit eight legs and eight eyes and a highly functioning brain into this tiny little area? Yeah. And is that, I, I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I apologize to spiders all over the world for getting it wrong and calling them what I call them, a bug, an insect. That's wrong. That was wrong. They are bugs. They yeah. are not insects. Yeah, but bugs is your non your non scientific term for things that crawl around. But yeah, so you you can call them bugs if you want, I suppose. But okay, yeah, so but not insects. Are sp are spiders more <laughs> evolved than insects? Oh, uh, you know, we try not to think of things as being more or less evolved. They're really good at what they do. Um, just like insects are really good at what they do. So it's not we don't. They it's better not to put things in order like that because they're they've just gone on different paths. Well, okay, we're going to take a slightly different path. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. We're going to hear more about spiders, Monty. Yes. Yes. Okay. We'll be right back. More on spiders with Professor Beth Jacob, who will be the speaker at the SciTech Cafe tomorrow evening at 33 Holly Street. Doors open at six o'clock. Wow. We've got a night chart here. Can we do something during the break? Okay, we'll do that, and we'll be right back. Bill Newman, Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. Co-ops build economic power. A co-op is a trusted and proven way to strengthen the local economy. The members own it, or the workers own it. October is Co-op Month. Check out our local co-ops, credit unions, worker co-ops, and farmer co-ops. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op isn't just a music store, it's community. It's where kids take lessons and meet other kids to play with. Where an old slide guitar master meets a fiery young harp player and the blues is reborn. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op. Instruments, lessons, community. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. 
Paul Parent Garden Club every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this. But insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Wayland Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with our Bella Insurance. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local news in the Pioneer Valley and for the Pioneer Valley. WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Professor Kathy Idala, who is the founder of the SciTech Cafe and a professor of physics at Mount Holyoke College, and Professor Beth Jacob, who is in the biology department at UMass Amherst. She will be the speaker, the featured speaker at the SciTech Cafe that will be presenting. She will be presenting at 33 Holly Street tomorrow evening. Doors open at six o'clock. And Tell us again, uh, if you would, please, Kathy, prizes, uh, other, other goodies yes. that are available. Everyone is welcome, so, free and open to the public. Everyone is welcome. All ages are welcome. Uh, we, um, we have appetizers, first come, first serve. They may not last. Um, uh, and we also encourage questions. Uh, just by being there, you might win a prize. We raffle off a couple prizes, um, and then we give prizes for the, the favorite questions of the speaker. Um, so come there, ask questions, be interactive. Everybody is welcome. Um, it's a fantastic space, 33 Holly, AP at Holly. Um, and I'll just give you a teaser where we're actually going to be moving um, uh, soon because they have this fantastic grant to finish renovation of their space. And we will be doing a talk both by a chemist about beer in the abandoned building brewery coming up in December. But tomorrow, APE Holly, 6 p.m., doors open. We go back to Professor Beth Jacob from the biology department at UMass Amherst. You told us earlier that about some spiders that were living in uh, groups of some 2,000. Are spiders socially cooperative? Do they kind of get along and have a government? October is co-op month, and we will be broadcasting for the from the co-op in East Hampton tomorrow. Okay. Well, actually, if you listen to, to um, arachnologists on, on Twitter, October is Arachtober. Uh -huh. And uh, people post a different picture of spiders every, uh, every day um, to celebrate. But yeah, so I used to, I, I won't be talking about this tomorrow night, um, but I used to work on social spiders. Um, and spiders range in their level of cooperation from being... Um, completely antisocial, where their first, the first thing they try and do is try and kill each other, um, <laughs> to highly social, where they live in, in these groups, and they build this big web together, and they share food, and they feed young, they feed their young. Um, some, some spiders, uh, some spider moms make the ultimate sacrifice and let their young eat them. So, um, <laughs> my mom. So they're all over, all over the map. Uh, wow. Uh, so tomorrow, uh, well, just a couple other quick questions. How do how do spiders reproduce? Oh well, they have a, um, a, a an interesting structure called the palps. So the males actually 
um, put sperm on the web and then collect sperm in this these palps that are actually they used to be um, their evolutionary histories that they used to be mouth parts and they take the palps and they insert them into the female so I thought that this was a family-friendly event tomorrow night. So I wasn't <laughs> there wouldn't be a family if it wasn't for the pals. <laughs> oh goodness! But it's actually it's actually a really interesting way to go about um, reproducing, and then a lot of spiders have this, these elaborate courtship dances, which are really fun. So the jumping spiders that we're working on now, the ones that I mentioned that are so visual, they do these incredibly elaborate dances where they wave their legs up and they tap their abdomens and they drum and they and and every species has a different dance and uh, and they they try hard to encourage the female to to mate with them and and also to not eat them, which is also an important Important <laughs> it's the don't eat me dance. I need to learn that one. <laughs> so maybe you've just answered this question to a large degree, but I would love to know, Professor Jacob, why do we want to know? Why do so many people want to know about spiders and why do we fear them? Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, so, I, well, I, I think... A lot of us want to know about spiders just because we love the natural world, and there's so many cool things out there that we don't understand very much about, and so spiders are actually really understudied um, compared to a lot of other taxa, so it's really fun to, to learn a lot more about them. But uh, spiders also provide lessons for us. Um, that I mean, imagine this super miniaturized system uh, this tiny thing that, as you mentioned, as, as we talked about before, that has uh, this great task of gathering all this visual information and analyzing it with very little circuitry. So it makes a, a great ex uh, inspiration for robots or in drone design. We have just now, about. Why spiders? Oh, go on. I'm sorry. We just have about 30 seconds left. I would like to know. You're going to yeah. show a video tomorrow. Tell our listeners as a preview what that's going to be. It's part of your talk. It's going to be a picture of spiders' eyes moving inside their heads as they're looking at different images. <laughs> so we have a way to track their moving eyes using um, infrared light to see where they're looking. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, a last word from you, if you would, Professor Kathy Adawa. Tell us when and where again, please. We hope that we will see you at uh, 33 Holly. Uh, we are in Northampton, 6 p.m., doors open, light appetizers. We'll get the ball rolling, you know, a, a little bit after that. Thank you both so very much, Professor Kathy Adawa. Professor Beth Jacob, thank you. So, this sounds so fascinating. Thank you for doing it. Thank you both so very, very much. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And today, I'm convening this conference because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation, to achieve ambitious goals and hunger in this country by the year 2030. This is a big deal. The President of the United States just announced to the world that ending hunger and promoting better nutrition in this country is a national priority. I think that's a good plan, and I think we can do it. Meanwhile, our neighbors have to eat today. The Food Bank of Western Mass is there for the over 100,000 neighbors who rely on emergency food each month. And if you want to help support the Food Bank of Western Mass, you can join the March for the Food Bank 13 Thanksgiving week. The federal government is making moves when it comes to fighting hunger, and the Food Bank itself is making moves. From Hatfield to Chicopee, you can move with us locally as we march from Springfield to Northampton on day one, and Northampton to Greenfield on day two. March yourself, start a team, virtually march. Get involved. Make some moves. Monty's March 13, making moves. Monday and Tuesday, November 21st and 22nd. Sign up now at MontysMarch.com. News and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's